Imagine being born rich enough to spend your life fulfilling your passion. And what if your passion was practical jokes? There was a man in the early 20th century in Britain who only wanted to make people, including himself, laugh. He was a jester who was delighted in poking fun of people who he thought were full of themselves. So today I have the story of Horace DeVere Cole on the 164th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am Jeff Kelly, your host and storyteller. How's everybody out in podcast land today? Here in Chicago, it's not too bad. We're just having enough snow so I don't have to go out and rake leaves, but too little snow for me to have to shovel the driveway. How nice is that? Now, a little announcement before we get started. I will personally be doing only one more show in 2018. That's in two weeks but there still will be episodes. For the following two shows, you'll be having your coffee with a surprise host. For myself, I I need to take December off. It gives me time to work on some new ideas and just relax a bit. But I assure you, the two shows in December will be fantastic. Now, I have Russell, a person that emails me every now and again, to thank for today's story. Russell offers me suggestions every now and again, and a while back, he scanned a bunch of pages from a book called The People's Almanac. And there were uh, quite a few good story ideas in there, and and then I sort of forgot about it. But for this week, I was looking for a unique idea, so I just opened up to one of his scanned pages, and it was all about hoaxes. And there was a story about Horace DeVere Cole. So thank you, Russell. I'll be using more of those stories from the People's Almanac in future episodes. Now, as far as today, I used many sources. But you know that whenever I use a source more than I probably should, I give it a special shout-out. There is a video on YouTube called Explained, the Dreadnought Hoax by Zephyrus, I think it would be pronounced. It was so well-researched, I couldn't help but get a lot of information from there. In fact, as I worked this week on today's story, I always looked for other sources, but found myself going back to that video. I hope Zephyrus doesn't mind. There was also another video called Horace DeVere Cole, The Sultan of Pranks by The History Guy, and I used quite a bit from that as well. I'll have a link to both these videos on today's show notes. If you enjoy today's story, I advise you to watch both of them. They're very interesting. And now let's get on with today's episode. This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash SciCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. You planned this, Frank. It was all your idea. What do you think about your fine idea now? And you, Jimmy... How do you feel? Although you didn't plan it, you really didn't give any thought to how it might turn out, did you? To you, it just seemed fun and a good idea at the time. Why did you do it, Jimmy? Well, 
Frank said he wanted to do it. He said it sure would be funny. And he was right. It was awful funny for a while. It isn't any fun now, though. Remember how you planned it? You and Jimmy? It wasn't hard to convince him. He thought it would be a whale of a good joke on Mr. Kraft. Sometime in 1911, Oliver Single Fleet Locker Lampson, a British politician and naval officer and a member of Parliament, was walking down the street when he ran into an old friend from school. The old friend challenged Oliver to a foot race, which he accepted. His friend even gave Oliver a head start. Once the race began, Oliver took a quick lead. Suddenly, however, his friend began yelling, Stop, thief! He's got my watch! A nearby policeman stopped Locker Lampston and found that in his pocket was his friend's gold watch. Apparently, his friend had slipped it into his pocket while they were talking. Both men were taken away by the police, and while there were no charges brought against Locker Lampson, his friend was found guilty of a breach of the peace and was fined five pounds. His friend was Horace Devere Cole, who some call the king of practical jokes. William Horace Devere Cole was born on the 5th of May, 1881 in Ireland. For most of his life, he loved to poke fun at people who he said were full of themselves. Imagine this. Horace buys tickets to selected seats on the main floor of a pretentious play, then walks around passing them out to people on the street. The people he gives these tickets to all have one thing in common. They're bald men. Painting letters on the tops of their head, the rich people in the box seats would look down to see bullocks spelled out or other dirty words. Another time he was at a party and invited a select group of people. When the guests began engaging in conversation at the party, they all realized they had one thing in common. They all had the word bottom in their surname, such as Ramsbottom, Winterbottom, Longbottom, Fogbottom, and other similar names. All this trouble arranging a party and whatnot just to give himself a little laugh. He was called a very dangerous man to his friends by the Home Secretary in England around 1910. The Home Secretary was the future Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Cole once boasted, I have played and got away with more jokes than any man alive. The famed English writer Virginia Woolf once said of him, He was an Irishman with beautiful blue eyes and a little mustache and perfect figure. And he was deaf, and that is perhaps why he took up practical joking. He couldn't take up any other profession. And fortunately for himself, he had a good deal of money. And so instead of going to the bar or becoming a man of business, he made it his business to simply make people laugh. William Horace Devere Cole was the son of a British army officer who died when he was a child. His mother was the niece and heiress of Sir Stephens and Lady Devere. So he was born into a very wealthy family and, and had a substantial inheritance. His wealth gave him the time and money to do the things that he really wanted to do. At the age of 10, he had a bout of diphtheria that seriously affected his hearing for the remainder of his life. During the Second Boer War, Horace was a lieutenant, but his military career ended due to shrapnel wounds. He donated his disability pension to the Fund for War Widows and Orphans. After the army, he went to Cambridge. It was there he pulled his first classic prank. Horace had read that the 8th Sultan of Zanzibar was visiting Britain. 
With his friend Adrian Stevens, who was a sportsman and actor, they came up with a plan. Writing to the mayor's office, they informed him that the Sultan would be visiting Cambridge. But they had a problem. You see, soon after sending this telegram, they realized the Sultan's picture was in all the newspapers. So instead, Cole took on the role of the Sultan's fictional uncle, Prince Musaka Ali. Cole, Adrian Stevens, and three others dressed up in makeup, darkened their faces, wore exotic clothing, and headed out to Cambridge. They arrived by train, and a party greeted them on the platform. They were given a grand tour of the college that they were actually attending without being recognized. Since none of the conspirators could speak Swahili, they spoke in a gibberish that seemed to fool everybody. The game almost ended when an elderly woman, who had once been a missionary in Africa and could speak Swahili, wanted to speak to the sultan. Drummer Howard, a friend who was playing the role of interpreter, quickly stepped in and explained that the sultan could only speak to a woman that was part of his harem. So that problem was solved. After an hour or so, they demanded to be taken back to the train to return to London. However, this presented another problem as they hadn't figured out how to end their little prank. If they returned to London, they would be breaking the college's 10 p.m. curfew. So once at the train station, they hiked up their costumes and ran out of a side exit, taking two handsome cabs to a friend's house where they removed their disguises. Almost immediately, the newspaper, the Daily Mail, figured out that something was wrong. Witnesses at the train station noticed that the group suddenly spoke perfect English as they ran away. A day or two later, Cole told his story about the hoax, much to the other conspirators' disapproval, to the Daily Mail, which was picked up by other papers. The St. James Gazette considered the event a most audacious practical joke. The mayor wanted the students involved to be sent down. I assume that means being kicked out of school, but was persuaded by the vice chancellor that this would damage his reputation further, so they got away with it. Some of the other hijinks this prankster was known for were things like posing as a surveyor, handing the end of a piece of string to a stranger on the street, explaining that he wanted to measure something around the corner of a building. Around the corner, and out of sight, he handed the other side of the string to another person using the same story. Sneaking away, Cole would leave the two men holding the ends of the string, waiting for something to happen. His sister, Annie Devere Cole, who would go on to marry British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, once asked her husband what he thought of her brother. He spoke of this and said, I was obliged to say what I think, but fortunately it appeared that it was her opinion too, and she was not all inclined to be proud of her brother's exploits. It appears he is 28. I think he must be a little mad. Another one of his more outrageous stunts was to put a cow's udder poking out of the fly of his pants. If someone found this offensive or complained, he would simply pull out a pair of scissors and cut it off. He would often take a jab at the police. He would ride around the streets of London in a cab with an undressed female mannequin. When a policeman was spotted, he would have the driver stop, getting out with the dummy. He would begin banging its head against the pavement, yelling, Ungrateful hussy! Much to the policeman's horror. Horace, with his mane of hair and bristly mustache, was often confused with Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald. 
On these occasions, he would launch into a fierce attack on the Labour Party policy. He would attend meetings of the party where he told the surprise members to work for less money and follow that up by lecturing on the evils of socialism. But of all these pranks, the one he is best known for was the Dreadnought Hoax, his masterpiece. Perhaps inspired by his earlier prank, he and a group of friends would trick the captain of the Royal Navy warship HMS Dreadnought into thinking they were an official Abyssinian delegation. In the early 20th century, Britain's naval fleet was seen as one of the foundations of its empire, a reflection of the country's power and wealth. A leading article in the Observer in 1909 described the supremacy of the Royal Navy as the best security for the world's peace and advancement. The HMS Dreadnought was a Royal Navy battleship that went into service in 1906 and was the pride of the country. It was the first of Britain's Dreadnought class of battleships. Apparently its name comes from archaic English and means a fearless person. Another British ship at the time was the HMS Hawk, and they had a rivalry with the Dreadnought, and the crews of the two ships were known for playing practical jokes on one another. According to one of the participants in the hoax, Virginia Stevens, Cole had a friend on the Hawk who came to Cole and said, You're a great hand at hoaxing people. Couldn't you do something to pull the leg of the Dreadnought? They want it taken down a bit. Couldn't you manage to play off one of your jokes against them? It seemed that Cole's friend was probably remembering his prank with the Sultans of Zanzibar and wanted something similar. Horace Devere Cole began to form a plan. The HMS Dreadnought was filled with pompous naval officers, just the kind of people Cole loved to poke fun at. Cole immediately invited his friend Adrian Stevens to help. As it happened, Adrian was related to one of the crewmen on the HMS Dreadnought. They pulled together a large group of people to help, but as the days approached, all but two, Guy Ridley and Anthony Buxton, pulled out. Adrian's sister later wrote, All was arranged when several hitches occurred and some people gave up. They were beginning to think they couldn't go. Cole was getting frightened and Adrian was the only person who was really keen about it. They found that there would only be three or four of them and they thought that wouldn't be enough when they asked the goat to go. Apparently, the goat is the family nickname for Virginia Stevens. She agreed. Rather, I admit to our horror. For Cole is really an intolerable bore. He is very rich and very vulgar and throws his money about. Then they asked Duncan Grant to go, too. So in the final group, there were Cole, Adrian, Virginia Stevens, Guy Ridley, Anthony Buxton, and artist Duncan Grant. And since some of these people were extreme pacifists, especially Virginia... They had no problem about fooling the Royal Navy. The plan was to disguise themselves as foreign dignitaries. They had a friend who was a theatrical costumer named Willie Clarkson, one of the most famous costumers of the time, to help them with their makeup. Willie darkened their skin in what many refer to as blackface. He glued on fake beards and dressed them in eastern robes that resembled members of the Abstinian royal family, complete with turbans. Adrian Stevens took on the role of interpreter, and Cole played a member of the foreign office. Funny how the two that came up with the plan are the two that had the least amount of makeup. Anthony Buxton would get the role of the Prince of Abyssinia. Oddly, the fact that they were going to present themselves as a group from Abyssinia, which is now Ethiopia, should have been a clue to their deception. 
Ethiopia is a landlocked country, so why would people of a landlocked country be interested in the Royal Navy? Well, thankfully for Cole and his group, no one ever asked. It began on the 7th of February, 1910. The group proceeded with the plan without breakfast, and they soon found out that this was a mistake. In Virginia's home, they were all made up in their costumes when they realized that eating food would ruin their disguise. So for those in face paint, eating would be impossible for the rest of the day. A friend named Tudor Ralph Castle, and yes, that's his real name, sent a telegram to the commander-in-chief of the home fleet stating that Prince Macklin of Abyssinia and Sweet arrive at 420 today, Weymouth. He wished to see the dreadnought. Kindly arrange meeting on arrival. Regret short notice. And the message was signed, Hardinge, Foreign Office. Hardinge was Sir Charles Hardinge, the head of the Foreign Office. On the way to Weymouth, where the dreadnought was moored, the group practiced a few phrases of Swahili, even though Swahili wasn't spoken in Abyssinia. They figured no one would notice if they were speaking the wrong language. Arriving in Weymouth, they were greeted by the Admiral's flag lieutenant in cocked hat and sword. A red carpet was laid out for them and barricades were set up to keep the crowds back. If there was any thought of backing out, it was too late now. They were taken by taxi to the harbor and then on a small ship to take them aboard the dreadnought. Apparently, when they arrived on the ship, the Navy band didn't know the national anthem of Abyssinia, so they played the anthem of Zanzibar instead and even flew the Zanzibar flag. You would think a group from Abyssinia not noticing that the flag and song were wrong would be a clue that something was not right, yet things proceeded without trouble. The group even forgot all the Swahili they practiced, so they spoke in bits of Latin and Greek using passages from Homer and Virgil. Allegedly, Virginia pushed things a little far by introducing herself as Prince Mendex, which is Latin for lying or deceitful. The rest of the group all had names for their characters, but Cole quickly forgot these, but no one aboard the ship noticed that he was constantly using the wrong names. At one point, they were offered a 21-gun salute, but Anthony, as the prince, refused, saying that the French fleet had not done a salute, so why should the English? The real reason, as he explained later, was, I understood that firing salutes means cleaning guns afterwards, and it seemed too much of a shame. They were offered lunch but refused, saying for religious reasons they couldn't eat English food. The real reason, of course, was it might ruin their makeup. Aboard the ship was Virginia and Adrian's first cousin, Commander Fisher. The makeup and costumes were so good, he failed to recognize them. At one point, it started to rain, and they quickly moved to shelter before their makeup could be ruined. One of the most famous bits of the prank was how the group used the words bunga bunga to express happiness or approval. Whenever they were shown one of the marvels of the ship, they would utter the phrase bunga bunga. The scam went off without a problem. The gang was able to get back to their home, where they cleaned up, finally ate, drank, and celebrated their accomplishment. Cole would write about it, saying, Are you amused? I am. It was a day worth living. It wasn't long before the hoax was uncovered, but there was nothing the Navy could do about it, really. The only law they had actually broke was the forging of Sir Charles Harding's name on the original telegram. But since the identity of the person who sent it was never discovered, no action was taken. About the only punishment dealt was Duncan Grant and Cole were given a caning to the buttocks. 
though it was a light one, more symbolic than actual torture. The phrase bunga bunga became very popular in England. Apparently, the Admiral of the Dreadnought couldn't go anywhere without hearing it. It became a popular catchphrase in England, and somehow, over the years, has evolved into meaning a wild sex party. By the way, Adrian Stevens' sister, Virginia, would go on to marry Leonard Wolfe and would use her married name as a writer, penning many successful books under the name Virginia Wolfe. Yes, one of the pranksters in Beard and Blackface would go on to be one of the most important modernist 20th century authors. For Horace DeVere Cole, his personal life was not as successful as his pranks. He got married in 1918 to Irish Harris Denise Lynch, and they had a daughter together, but the marriage would eventually fail. Then, after losing all his money in a land deal, he married for the second time a waitress, Mabel Winfred, who gave birth to a son, Tristan. Unfortunately, Mabel wasn't very faithful to Horace, as the son turned out not even to be his child. Tristan was allegedly fathered by artist Augusta John. The marriage between the two didn't last. On a side note, Tristan de Vera Cole, who is still alive today, became a British television director, even directing a few early episodes of the Doctor Who serials. Humiliated, penniless, and forgotten, Horace de Vera Cole died of a heart attack in Paris in 1936. So, uh, so where is sweet little Ben? I would love to have a little... <laughs> I found him! <laughs> Very funny. Come here. That is exactly why I've come here to talk to you, okay? Do you remember all that stuff I taught you yesterday? Remember all that stuff I taught you yesterday? Don't do that. Don't do that. Seriously, your dad doesn't like pranks. Seriously, your dad doesn't like pranks. Oh, damn it! Oh, damn it! No, don't say that! Don't say that! Damn it! No, don't go, go back to repeating. Damn it! Oh, crap! Oh. Barney? Looking for these? Oh, you're a clown, you are. Why don't you put a red light on your nose and go in the circus? Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. A little bit before I go. You know, I'm not a big fan of practical jokes. Most times, to me, they just seem cruel or mean. The idea of trying to make someone else look stupid or embarrass somebody, just for the sake of one's own enjoyment, I'm not a fan. That being said, I sort of found a few of Horace's jokes a bit amusing. I'm not sure if this is right or wrong, but a well-designed prank in the right situation can make me laugh. You know, in 1969, a film was released called The Magic Christian, based on the book of the same name by Terry Southern. It's not a great film, but it's worth watching. It stars Peter Sellers as an eccentric billionaire who, together with his newly adopted son, played by Ringo Starr, plays elaborate practical jokes on people. These jokes, which he spends a lot of money on, are designed to poke fun at greed and the things people will do for money. It sounds a bit like today's story, and I started to wonder if Terry Southern had coal in mind when he came up with the character. I don't know. But how about the ending credits? 
You know, my podcast is only available because of listeners like you. You know, the ones that support the Psycon Network. You can be one of the good people by visiting Psycon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N, and look for the Patreon link at the top. And of course, a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the show. Speaking of Psycon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find many amazing podcasts at Psycon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. You can suggest store ideas at any one of those places. And your suggestions really help me out. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin to help me financially, you can do me a favor and go over to iTunes and give me a few stars or a review or something. Those really help. And remember, links to all the sources that I use to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, to my wife of 34 years for being my wife of 34 years, Russell for inspiring this episode, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to every episode of this show, thank you so much, and a special shout out to all those that repost this on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. 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 Coffee. Coffee with